Welcome to How to Live with the Rich, a limited series podcast about how the middle class can actually, practically, and biblically help the poor. I am your host, Beck Isaacson, and welcome to the show. everyone welcome back to the podcast and welcome back to week two of our materialism and minimalism episodes i hope you enjoyed last week and if you have not had a chance to listen to it yet i would highly encourage you to go back and do so because it provides all of the context for today's episode which is all about minimalism which i am super excited about As per usual, I am your host, Beck Isaacson, and I am so thankful that you are here with us today on this wonderful Tuesday. And you know what else I'm thankful for today? A really good bathroom door, which just so happens to be my tiny happy thing for this morning. Because of all of the things that confused me and confuse me about America, and let's be honest, it is quite a long list. Uh, One of the very top ones is your bathroom doors. Why in the world do your bathroom doors have gaps, USA? Why have you all just collectively accepted the fact that strangers, that people can see you in your most vulnerable and intimate moments? Do you know that the rest of the world is not this way? And for those of you who do not know what I'm talking about, the overwhelming majority of bathroom stalls in the USA have gaps, usually on both sides of the doors, and not just little gaps, like large gaps, gaps that are large enough to see through. It is so weird and so uncomfortable, and so my tiny happy thing for today is when I find a bathroom in this country that just makes logical sense, specifically ones that have a full-sized human door with no gaps on either side and extra bonus points for ones that have that little knob that you click when you enter that shows the person on the outside that it is occupied because why have you also accepted the fact that most of the time you have to look under the stall to see if anyone is in there it's so weird i was in a hotel bathroom last week like this with a full-size door and like a knob thing that showed it was occupied and honestly it quite literally felt like a retreat nobody could see me nobody could hear me i'm telling you it's like a vacation in this country a good enclosed logical clean toilet stall is my tiny happy thing for today in america and on that note and with that visual in mind let's take a break and jump into today's episode because like last week we have a lot of things to talk about all right let's talk about minimalism On last week's episode, I outlined materialism, what it is, why it has no upside, and why it cannot be the standard of normalcy for the people of God. And as a response to that, I'm going to be presenting minimalism today as a potential, and I think really wonderful, solution to that problem. In essence, and in a simple sentence, minimalism is the intentional choice to live with less. 
It is a set of deliberate life choices designed to simplify our lives in order to magnify what really matters. Basically, we are taking things out in order to add things in that matter. Which, spoiler alert, I think includes the kingdom of God, but also things like relationships, family, and service. It begins with acknowledging that materialism and consumerism are one template for this life, but it is not the only template available to us. And I feel like shouting that one for the people at the back. Materialism is not the only way to live. We do have other options. And thus, minimalism fully acknowledges that we actually have a choice and that materialism and consumerism is not the only way of being and existing in our world. In its most basic form, therefore, minimalism focuses on creating an intentionally simple life. One that is centered around not just making ends meet, but actually creating fewer ends that demand our time and attention in the first place. And doing this requires us recognizing the brutal truth that everything we own actually to one degree or another ends up owning us as well. What do I mean by that? Well, let's flesh that out for a second and think about it. Every single possession that we add to our lives is one extra thing that consumes our thoughts and our time. It is one extra thing to find a space for, to talk about, to maintain, to clean, to repair, to display, to rearrange, to tidy up after, and to replace when it is broken. And thus, we may own our possessions, but in a very real way, they actually end up owning us as well. They own our time, they own our money, and because of that, they actually end up owning our lives. They have a very real cost, and as I shared last week out of 2 Peter 2.19, we become slaves to whatever has mastered us, and for a lot of us, that is actually our possessions. And therefore, with all of that in mind, minimalism then becomes an on-purpose decision not to miss out on the most important things in life by choosing to live without things that take up our time and attention. And I know what you're thinking, Beck, I think I get it, but could you please use a train analogy to make your point? And to that, I will answer, yes, of course, I would love to. I'm here to serve you guys. So here we go. Let's think about our current culture as a train. It is a train that emphasizes the pursuit of money for the accumulation of possessions. It is also a train that leads to both death and the junkyard. My husband recently heard a quote that he loves that essentially says, you never see a U-Haul pulled behind a hearse, aka you cannot take it with you. And so that is our culture. We can see the train of materialism. We know the destination. And with that in mind, the whole point of minimalism is to choose not to buy a ticket, to choose not to get on, and to choose, therefore, not to end up where it is going. And on last week's episode, we took a look at how foolish it is to live without an eternal perspective. And a big part of this foolishness is simply living and filling our lives with things that in the end don't matter at all eternally. I mean, Matthew 16, 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain in return for his soul? 
From an eternal Jesus perspective, there is quite literally no point, no advantage in gaining all the material things of this world. It is meaningless. It is temporary. And thus we have to unhinge ourselves from the ride of aspirational ownership, which is this idea that if I own blank, I will be blank or I'll feel like blank. For example, if I own a Tesla, I will be successful. If I could just get those shoes, I would feel amazing. And so that is my train analogy. I mean, you asked for it, I delivered it, you are welcome. And the good news again is that we do not have to stay on this train. We were probably all in many ways born onto it, but we do not have to stay there and we all have a choice. And again, this is especially true for the follower of Jesus who should have a very different blueprint about how we set the priorities for our lives. And so hopefully that gives you some context about what minimalism actually is and why it is. But the next step is then, of course, putting action to it and talking about the how, especially long term. And there are a number of different practical tools to help you get started. I mean, I am naturally quite a minimalistic person. It doesn't come difficult to me. It comes very easily to me. But what really helped kickstart my intentional journey was Marie Kondo's Netflix series. If you remember that coming out a couple of years ago, I and many others went absolutely crazy for it. It was speaking my language. It was putting words and actions to what I had felt inside for so long. I mean, I literally watched one episode and then started emptying all of the nooks and crannies of my house. I went through every room and every cupboard and I just threw away and sold mounds of our belongings. And this was a few years ago and I was appalled at how much stuff we actually owned and how many things I had actually forgotten about, which in many ways was actually her point. And in the end, I found that her ideas were actually quite simple, but also extraordinary. And, you know, although I don't agree with every single element of her philosophy or her worldview, I still highly encourage watching it or reading her book as she provides some very practical, logical tools to actually put action to this whole concept. And again, this is just one tool of many different ones that are out there, but she suggests a very intentional five-step process which starts with clothing and then moves on to books, paper, the kitchen, the bathroom, the garage, miscellaneous, and then sentimental items. I also really like the tie that she makes between clutter on the outside of our lives, representing clutter and stress on the inside, because I don't know about you, but I really feel that. I am one of those people who find it hard to focus and concentrate if my outside environment is messy or dirty, because in general, when my desk is clean, my mind is clean, and I just feel way more focused. I mean, I wrote this episode in a coffee shop because my temporary home is under construction, and there's just absolutely no way I can focus there right now. My environment makes me stressed out. And so, all of that to say, if Marie Kondo is not for you, total peace about that. There are tons of other great resources and methodologies out there, and so... Let's take a quick resource room moment for a second and let me recommend some, both secular and Christian. To start, I have recommended both of these resources before, and they are not specifically just about minimalism, but they are both fantastic 
and Jesus-focused, and they are The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, super good, and Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. Both 10 out of 10, both 1,000% worth your time, super helpful tools. Then I would highly recommend the documentary Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. It came out in 2015, and so it's a couple of years old, but the principles within it are just timeless, and it's very well made, it's very practical, it's very helpful. And then two other books that I found super helpful were Your Money or Your Life, Nine Steps to Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Achieving Financial Independence by Vicki Rubin, and Soulful Simplicity, How Living with Less Can Lead to So Much More by Courtney Carver. I will link all of these resources in my Instagram stories today, all great options to start on your journey to minimalism. But no matter, you know, the inspiration or what resources or method you use and find most helpful to you, more likely than not, a good place to start on this whole journey is simply by paring down and decluttering your possessions. And then, most importantly, keeping them that way. And if you don't feel like you are able to do this without help, then get help, hire help. There are companies out there that would love to help you do this. In fact, I would love to help you do this. I love a good dumpster. I love a good label maker. I thoroughly enjoy organizing and cleaning things. But at the end of the day, what needs to happen is that you need to go through every nook and cranny of your house your car, your garage, and if applicable, your storage units. And you need to keep going until you are left with only what you use, what you need, or what you really enjoy. It is a long process. It's a hard process because what you are essentially doing is rewiring years and honestly probably decades of cultural messages and beliefs. It's not easy by any means, but like most things in life that aren't easy, it is absolutely worth it. And again, back to what I said at the start of this episode, the point of minimalism is not just to have less stuff, but instead to rid our lives of the things that do not matter with the purpose of creating space for the things that actually do, such as spending time with Jesus, investing in other people, discipleship, volunteering our time, living on purpose, and building the kingdom of God. It also frees up our finances to invest into eternity as well, and we have talked at great length about the importance of that already as well. Because the bottom line is this, in order to fully grasp hold of the things that truly matter in this life, We need to let go of the things and the practices that that do not. And once again, this requires great intention. It will not happen by accident. It will not be easy, but it will 100% be worth our time. It requires taking our lives off what I can only describe as cultural autopilot, jumping off the train, so to speak, and instead reorienting our entire lives, our entire worldviews, our entire practices around a Jesus kingdom culture, his priorities, his plan, his desires. And the crazy lunacy of all of this is that we, we all know and have experienced this truth 
already, we know that the happiness we get from buying or owning possessions it, it passes away so quickly. We know that. We experience it all the time. And yet, like insane people, we keep doing it again and again and again. We are taught to obsessively want things in this life, but to never, ever be satisfied with those things. And again, as we talked about last week, our entire economy is actually based around this fact. And it is completely unsustainable. We cannot continue this way, not in a world with finite resources. We are living in this constant quest for more possessions, but this only results further in our discontentment, in debt, in stress within our lives, and we are all on this crazy hamster wheel to nowhere surrounded by things that we do not need that take up great amounts of our lives. Getting rid of your possessions, therefore, and living an intentionally minimalist life allows you to determine what you want to do with your time, and that is an incredible gateway to great freedom. And if you don't believe me, well, let's open our Bibles, and I will allow it to speak for itself. So let's look at Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 12. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I mean, come on, does that not exactly summarize my entire point? And keep in mind, these words were written in a time when people had significantly less possessions than we do. The lesson, therefore, is tried, it's true, it's biblical. First, that the pursuit of our desires apart from God will never come to fruition. And secondly, more often than not, we do not own our money and possessions. Our money and possessions actually end up owning us. And I honestly think that half the issue is that most people never even ask the question or stop to ask the question, what makes their lives worth living in the first place? Because I mean, truly and biblically, what is the point of it all? Are our endless boxes filled with storage items really a fair trade for the years of our time and our talent and our creativity? What, what have we traded our years for? And what is the value of that eternally? At the end of the day, what do we want our legacy to be? And do we even have a standard of of enough? Do we ever have enough? How are we measuring success within our lives? Is it a number in our bank account? Is it the brand of our watch? Or is it in giving? Is it in spiritual development? Is it in service and gratitude and depth of relationship? Am I making a living or am I making a dying because I am so dead, tired, and exhausted at the end of every day? And for me, when answering these kind of questions, it helps to see the earning of money as the giving of our life, our time, our resources, our talents, because time is a great non-renewable resource this side of eternity, and we have to stop and take stock of what we are trading our lives in exchange for. 
Work is a good thing, it's a godly thing, but it can very easily turn into an obsessive godlike thing when it isn't set in its correct setting. What do you get in exchange for your work hours? This is not just the time that you are actually at work, but the time you spend commuting and decompressing from work and thinking about work. You, of course, receive money for those hours, but what is that money being spent on? How many days or years of your life are you giving away in exchange for lattes? I mean, which as I write this, I am literally drinking one right now, so please know that I am no way excluded from this. But what about how many years of your life are exchanged for cable TV or exercise equipment or shoes? What exactly are you giving away your years to? What are you gaining in exchange for your time and what consequence, if any, does that actually have on eternity and who are you becoming in this mass accumulation? Is what you are giving your time and energy to making your life a wonderful testimony to the goodness of God or is it an unfulfilling shrine to Western capitalism? It is super important to keep in mind that our lives, our time, and our finances are limited. But our desires are literally limitless and ultimately will be unfulfillable. We cannot have everything that we want. And even if we did, it would not make us happy. And thus, we are starting to bring this in for a landing today. When it comes to materialism and consumerism, we must trade the beat of our culture for the gentle call of Jesus. The way of Jesus is harder, it is better, and it ends in life. We can learn to loosen the grip on our possessions, many of which are actually addictions and idols, and we can learn to hold those things with an open hand, surrendering all of ourselves to the Lord and his kingdom purposes. I mean, how much freedom can come from living completely open-handedly? Are you at or can you get to a place where you are able to give away anything you own at a moment's notice? And if that's what the Lord asked of you, how would you live and how would you purchase differently? I think that maybe if we are not at this point in our lives, it, it becomes a lordship issue, and we probably shouldn't have that possession in the first place. And so that brings us pretty much to the end of our minimalism episode for today and our two-part series on materialism and minimalism. I really hope that you have enjoyed listening to it as I have thoroughly enjoyed researching and writing and living and recording it. I mean, this is a topic as you can probably hopefully tell, that I am super passionate about and I hope that comes across. I hope that it has been helpful and practical and that this is only the start of your journey to minimalism and the incredible freedom that it brings. And not just freedom from possessions, but the freedom to live a full life filled with things that actually matter eternally. And so to finish out today's episode, I want to leave you with Philippians 3, 7 to 8, which says this and somewhat summarizes this entire topic for me. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to breathe in and live out that truth today and every day. Would everything in our lives, every single possession, be considered a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord? And on that note, have an absolutely wonderful Tuesday. I will be back next week with another episode. And until then, I hope you have a great one. Bye. Thank you.